I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got a different type of show this weekend, one that's necessitated, well, it's just my fault. Uh, Because of responsibilities with Major League Soccer, I haven't been able to watch the Premier League action this weekend, and I don't think it's fair to you guys to sit through a show and pretend like I did. So what we're going to do is let my co-hosts, Karthik Krishnayar and Nipun Chopra, take us through the action in the 31st round of the Premier League. Two major derbies on Sunday. We're going to start up in the northeast of England. Newcastle, Sunderland. Sunderland went into this one with six straight wins in this derby. Nipun Chopra and Karthik Krishnayar pick up the conversation from here. So the Tyne Weir Derby, biggest match uh, in the Northeast every single season. Coming into this tie, uh, Derby, Newcastle, six, six uh, excuse me, Sunderland, six successive wins against Newcastle. Newcastle winless in the last eight against their rivals from 12 miles away. Nipun, finally, Newcastle gets a result against Sunderland, and they maybe it's all down to Rafa Benitez. <laughs> uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not this Rafa Benitez. It, it's very difficult for me to say anything positive about Rafa Benitez, especially since Lawrence isn't here. Uh, I feel like if I say anything negative, there's no one to counterbalance uh, my clear bias. <laughs> against, right, against but in, but in this game, I thought one of the things that was pretty clear is that Benitez made progressive substitutions that mm. kind of changed the way the midfield battle was going. Uh, Sunderland were creating more chances and better chances in the first half. And, and I liked uh, the look of having uh, Borini on, Defoe on, having Kaziri play behind them, and Borini playing in kind of a wide position. There was a lot to like about Sunderland's performance. And, and, and Jan Kirchhoff, who's coming from, uh, from Schalke or for, for by way of Bayern Munich, right? He, he's been loaned out for the last few years by Bayern, has been really good for, uh, for Allardyce playing in, in this this uh, kind of hybrid hold, holding midfield slash center back role. And it's uh, it, it, Sunderland, to me, were the better team. and uh, But Newcastle, unlike previous derbies between these two sides, didn't lose 3-0. Uh, they, they, there's been this... Uh, this history of Sunderland getting a goal and then just running riot in this in this derby and every subsequent Sunderland coach, whether it was Decanio or, or Poyet or or Advocat or now Allardyce, uh, just absolutely making uh, legends out of some of their guys <laughs> in their biggest rivalry game. That didn't happen today. Uh, I should note that this will be a, a particular 
particularly uh, amusing to you, Nipun, or, or music to your ears, I should say, more than being amusing. John O'Shea now, 22 matches against yeah. Newcastle. He's never lost. He, he always had... He seemed to have a good record in some certain games. Even when he was at United, he had a great record against Liverpool. So I'm not surprised by that. Uh, John O'Shea continues to be a player that I think defies logic in some ways. He, he's exceptionally good in some games and, and struggles in others. So um, that's a great record. Something I wanted to ask you about was one of the things I think we should highlight are the two players that, that scored in this game. Obviously, uh, Jermaine Defoe probably, if Sunderland survive, will probably go down as one of the most important signings of the season. He scored some important goals. Right. Um, and then, of course, with... Uh, wait, who scored for Newcastle? Um, it was Mitrovic. But it was Mitrovic. I, 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 yeah, yeah and, and then he got injured after. I think injured, uh, yeah. it's always uh, annoying to the, the, those uh, fans that are very uh, partial to Major League Soccer in the United States that uh, we, we point out that... Uh, the pittance that basically uh, Sunderland had to pay. I mean, they, I guess they had pay overpaid their transfer fee to get uh, to get Josie Altidore from Odsed, but to have essentially swapped uh, that player for this player for Defoe, uh, it's it's work to keep them in the Premier League, but potentially they, they stay in the Premier League. At- when you look at Josie Altador's career at Sunderland, yeah, definitely has yeah. worked well. Yeah, because Defoe, Defoe probably kept him in the league last season with some of the goals he scored. They, they, the small margins, and he, and he got enough goals for them. And then this season, certainly they stay up. Uh, he's keeping them uh, near near the uh, the safety, where they need to be for safety. Dom and Doy, by the way, another player that uh, Sam Allardyce brought in during January. He's fitting well with Defoe. Now, uh, and Doy was brought in to be an out-and-out striker, Allardyce uh, was looking for a guy to replace Defoe, thinking that Defoe was a guy that you bring on late in games and he gets you goals. Remember, he has more goals coming off the bench than uh, any player in the history of the Premier League, even more than Solskjaer and Dzeko, who we think of as these late-game uh, guys who would change games for very good Manchester United Super and Manchester subs, City teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Ndoy now is coming off the bench, and he's putting him in, in uh, often in a wide position, and uh, and complimenting Defoe and 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 they've been playing well together. So I like uh, I like the look of Sunderland. Uh, Newcastle they showed the fight today. Mitrovic, uh, good goal, uh, outleaped DeAndre Yedlin on that, and uh, then got injured. But there's just something Newcastle has played better in these two games under Rafa Benitez. There's no question about it. But there's just and they have the seventh highest wage bill in this league. There's just something missing. I still think. I thought when they when Benitez uh, was was hired, they, there was a very good chance they'd stay up. Uh, but even with them playing better and Benitez clearly tactically putting them in a position where they're not conceding goals as much, uh, they still don't seem to be the kind of tidy side uh, that, that they need to be. This is a game they really needed to win. I know yeah. from a psychological standpoint, it's important to stop that. Uh, six-match uh, losing streak. It's now a nine-game un- uh, winless streak against their big rivals, against uh, Sunderland. But this was at St. James Park. This was a relegation six-pointer, mm-hmm. and they lost. Uh, they didn't get the. Uh, they didn't win. So right, yeah, yeah. Sunderland r- remains ahead of them at the table, and uh, I-, I just think that they're they're in some trouble, especially as we transition to the next match. Well, Karthi, before we before we do that, let let's let, let's talk about this really quick. So, when you look at these two teams, right? To me, Newcastle has a slightly more difficult run in uh, left in terms of games left. They have to play City, uh, they have to play Liverpool, they have to play Spurs, but then they also play Villa and Norwich, who are both relegation battlers. Whereas Sunderland plays Leicester, Arsenal, Chelsea; those are tricky fixtures, and they play Norwich City. So, 
Newcastle slightly more difficult, but in general, it's pretty comparable. So who do you have staying up between these two? It might be neither. Okay, so you think uh, uh, Norwich? Because Nor- Nor- I think Norwich will get results against both of them, if I'm mm-hmm. being perfectly honest with you now. Mm-hmm. The question is, does Norwich get any other results other than those two games? Look, Norwich have been, Norwich have been pretty bad against yeah. the rest of the league, but they've been, they've been getting results against the teams below them or around them in the table for much of the mm-hmm. season, which is why they're still ahead of Newcastle and Sunderland in the table. So um, it might be neither. Now, what, what likely happens is Norwich draws one of those games, wins one of those games, only gets to uh, uh, 32, 33 points, and they still go down. So if it's between uh, Newcastle and Sunderland, I think Sunderland stay up. I think they have a better team. Uh, I, I, they both have good managers now. But uh, the difference is that Allardyce was able to go out in the January window, get Kaziri, get Kone, get Kirchhoff, uh, and, and Doy, those four players, uh, all he, of whom he got from the continent at a pretty cut rate price. Uh, and Doy is actually on loan, uh, able to get guys that he could he could fit into his style of play. And as we mentioned earlier, Kirchhoff has been really good uh, coming in from uh, from the right. Bundesliga. Whereas Benitez is inheriting a team that was has been put together by Graham Carr with a lot of Dutch and French players. And then uh, uh, McLaren got his wish and spent big on two guys in Townsend and Shelby that I think are absolutely useless. I mean, I, I have to say, I think Swansea's upturn in form had as much to do with uh, good, good, good Aline, uh, with Shelby being sent out of that team as Gundelin coming in uh, to become the manager. I think they were both factors. But Shelby, Shelby is not... Shelby is a guy, and I know Lawrence isn't on the show today because he'll argue till he's blown the face with us. He is a guy that when he is on the ball, uh, there... Uh, there's some there's there's a lack of movement. Uh, he's not very disciplined. Uh, I Sigurdsson scoring all these goals since Shelby left Swansea is not an accident because he would crowd into his space. Uh, he would uh, keep he wouldn't play the right ball to Sigurdsson when he was making those runs. So um, I, I just think Newcastle are probably doomed regardless. Yeah, I, I think with Shelby, I think he does have good moments. I think his 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 best assets are long range passing. Uh, and shooting. I agree with you that in terms of movement, in terms of uh, discipline, he, he's far from desirable on your team. But uh, Right, unless I mean, he's going to get you goals. I mean, what happened at Swansea is Sigurdsson, who is uh, this really good, uh, uh, this really good kind of attacking midfielder slash yeah. uh, slash uh, striker or withdrawn striker wasn't getting the opportunities because Shelby was in the team. Now, unless he gets goals for Newcastle, that, that, those are balls not going to someone else, Wijnaldum right. or uh, Mitrovic or, or Ayose. I, I just don't like the look of him in a team unless he's going to get produce goals or probing passes that free up a striker for one-on-one situations with the center back and the keeper, and those lead to goals. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just not happening. We'll get back to Kartik and Nipun in a minute, but I wanted to interject here and talk to you about our sponsor, for the last couple of weeks, you've heard me talk to you about SeatGeek and talk to you about how I've been using SeatGeek. And I really want to impress upon you that, that this is a service that I actually use. And I had used some of SeatGeek's competitors before SeatGeek started to be associated with the World Soccer Talk podcast. And this really is the best way to simplify your search for tickets, be it for sporting events or concerts, and also just to save money where you would otherwise be spending more on fees with other applications. 
applications. Uh, just to give you an example of how this is coming in handy, I think a lot of you know I'm originally from San Diego, Southern California. I'm up here in Portland, and I have friends that are planning to come visit me and visit the Pacific Northwest in the coming months, and they're wondering about upcoming basketball games. They're wondering about upcoming soccer games. And I told them just to download the SeatGeek app to their phone, look at those games coming up, and get a very good and accurate idea of how much they're going to need to spend to go see the Trailblazers, to go see the Sounders, to go see the teams in this area when they're going on their trips and when they're coming to see me. No problem at all recommending SeatGeek because it's worked for me and I know it will work for them. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets by pulling all the tickets available from other sites into one place. So you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts so that when upcoming events are happening in your area, SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on the value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from the seat that you would be purchasing. Uh, best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront with the price. You know, everybody knows that you see a price on StubHub, it's going to have a markup fee when you actually check out. That's not the case with SeatGeek. The price that you see when you initially look for the tickets is the price that is going to hit your credit card. There's a certain safety in knowing that you're not going to get something tacked on once you actually click, yes, I want that ticket. Now, SeatGeek is so interested in reaching out to World Soccer Talk listeners that they're offering a special promo code that will give you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate on your tickets is download the free SeatGeek app to your phone, go to the Settings tab, and click on Add a Promo Code. Enter the promo code WSTPOD. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's a great way to support the show, and it's a great way to save money on tickets in your area. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter the code WSTPOD to save money and to get a great deal on tickets. More action at the bottom of the table in the Premier League. Let's get back to Nipun and Kartik talking about Aston Villa and whether their manager, Remy Gard, is going to be able to survive his first half season in the Premier League. The teams that would have been somewhat pleased by that Newcastle Sunderland result would have been the teams uh, that we're going to talk about now. Uh, first of all, let's go to the Norwich West, uh, the West Brom Norwich game. Uh, Norwich winning one nothing. Very very scrappy goal by Robbie Brady. Uh, what I do want to say is, I mean, this guy has scored some important goals for Norwich City and, and actually for Hull City last season too. Um, and that goal was incredibly important given the draw between Newcastle and Sunderland. Yeah, great goal for, for Brady, and uh, they've got the defensive side of the ball figured out now. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a couple of clean sheets in a row for Norwich, and uh, Nathan Redmond continues to be this dangerous kind of attacking player. I don't know when we're going to see him in the England team. This is a, a big mystery to me why he hasn't been called in yet. But Robbie Brady getting another critical goal. Norwich just seemed like a team that, that they hadn't won a game in, in three months, right? They hadn't won a game since yeah. Christmas period, but they seem like a team that's not that continues to fight, that continues to scrap, that uh, is is benefiting from the just absolute underachievement of Sunderland and Newcastle and, of course, the, the, the uh, train wreck that is Villa. Now, I think mm-hmm. 
what's going to happen for Alex Neal's side is they're going to have to start to get results against other other teams. Thirty, you're going to need 35, 36 to stay up this season. It, it seems about right. Yeah. I don't know that they have uh, enough in them to get there. Now we've already talked about the two games against the game against Newcastle, and the game against Sunderland. They'll they'll probably take points from each of them. What we saw, we've seen teams in the past go down. Sheffield United in the 06-07 season, they took points from everybody around them. And they were still, uh, other than Wigan, who beat them on the final day of the season to stay up, uh, they still went down. So Norwich is going to have to get in uh, unlikely results somewhere. I'm not sure where it is uh, looking at the, at their fixture list, but they've certainly put themselves in position with this uh, very impressive win at the Hawthorns. A, a, a win against a West Brom team that has been playing well of late. Yeah, West Brom uh, has had some good results once uh, Berhino came back into the mix, but fairly uh, stale performance from them. Again, some of the old stuff, not much creativity. Uh, Berhino, you would have thought playing behind Rondon with Sessignon and Gardner surrounding, uh, on the other each side of him would have created something, but everything was stuck, uh, and it was a ra- stuck in midfield uh, with the Jakob and Fletcher, and a uh, rather poor game overall uh, to watch. Uh, another poor game to watch in some ways was the Swans win against Villa Karthik. Uh, the big talking point here, Guzan pulling a Guzan or some might say uh, Tim Howard from earlier in the season coming out for a cross. Um, when I initially saw it, Karthik, I thought it was a complete uh, mistake by Guzan. Having watched it again, I have a little more sympathy for him. It was a pretty good cross uh, and Guzan was not done any favors by his defense, but that was really the deciding moment in this game. Yeah, the era of the great American keepers has ended in England, hasn't it? I mean, that's you know, we went Ian Foyer, we went uh, uh, Jurgen Sommer, Casey Keller, Brad Friedel being probably the greatest of all. I, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Tim Howard later in the show. He signed in Major League Soccer uh, with the Colorado Rapids. will be leaving Everton at the end of the season. But uh, Timmy Howard, uh, Marcus Hahnemann, and, and uh, of course, I know I'm probably forgetting somebody. And of course, uh, Brad Guzan, the most recent one. They're just... Uh, it just seems like this is the end of an era. And these are the sorts of mistakes that Guzan uh, uh, didn't often make in, in the past. So that that uh, accounted for the one goal in this match. Uh, Villa were not terrible in, in this game. There they were uh, moments where I thought they were, they were quite good. They were the better side. But uh, nonetheless, that three points probably takes Sunderland to a point where they need only one or two more points to stay up, which they'll get. And um, now uh, Goodalene has to think about whether he wants to stay in this job. He's taking the job only till the summer, but he has the option of staying in the job and certainly mm-hmm. having kept them up. Uh, probably benefited, as I said, for the sale from the sale of Shelby to Newcastle. Uh, that that he he may want to stick around and see what he can do with this team next season. Very accomplished managers we've talked about before on this show from Italian football. Uh, for Villa, though, it looks like they're going to pull the trigger now. Tom Fox has left the uh, club. Uh, as of last week, they've got a new CEO or new new chief executive, and um, looks like Remy Guard's time is up at Villa Park. Yeah, the, who would you think would maybe come in and have any hope of keeping them up? Because no, they're not going to hire there's no one. Now. No, no, there's no one who's going to. It's just going to be a right caretaker. Now. Yeah, yeah. So I think Kevin McDonald, who's been the caretaker however many times for them, uh, this is would be his fifth or sixth stint in that role. I think he will get the rest of the season. I haven't read that. I'm just assuming that. Because yeah. I don't think anyone would take this job unless there is a manager available that might want to manage him in the championship next season. That The, the most logical uh, manager for that would be Nigel Pearson, but maybe Pearson will say, hey, uh, I, I'll wait till the summer and see what else is available. And then 
there's a ton of championship games, uh, uh, championship jobs open. Uh, the Nottingham Forest job just opened. We have a uh, uh, continuous uh, turnover in the championship as uh, as managers. Uh, I don't know that the Derby is going to is going to stick with their, their current manager. They fired Paul Clements in January, so they there might be other jobs for Pearson, and you might say, hey, uh, to Villa, I'm going to wait and see. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure who they could hire. I yeah. saw Steve Bruce's name linked. That would shock me, and I'll tell you why. Whether he'll go go up or not, and he'll have a good chance of going up in spite of their uh, that that late goal they they gave up against Middlesbrough and that critical game in the championship on Friday. We haven't talked about that, but that was uh, that was a tough one for Steve Bruce and Hull. Steve Bruce managed Birmingham, and we know how Alex McLeish was received by the Villa fans. And that, to, to many Villa fans, that was the beginning of the rod. Gerard Houllier has a heart attack or heart problems again, has to step down unexpectedly. And, and shockingly, Villa hire Alex McLeish. When, and so you're replacing a top manager in Houllier with that guy. And plus he had the, the Birmingham connection, the, the Brum right. connection. I, I don't think Steve Bruce will be well-received at Villa in this, uh, in this iteration of Villa where... Uh, they uh, are, are against the ownership. They're against the way the club has been run, and they don't want to see someone with ties, very clear ties, to their to their biggest rival come into the job. So that's why I saw that uh, on Twitter uh, on, on Saturday night. And said, once the guard rumor started, and I said, yeah. I don't think so. I think uh, I don't think Steve Bruce is is the right guy for that job. And beside, Bruce uh, has a really good thing going at Hull. You know. Uh, uh, the, the, the owner, Alam, has let him stay at that team in spite of relegation, uh, try and work, work it out. I think maybe he, uh, Steve Bruce finally found a place where he can stick for a while because he's obviously been a vagabond as a manager. So uh, this might be, uh, might be a good one. And, I, and you know he's going to place a call to Fergie uh, about sure. the Villa job that they offer it to him, and Fergie will tell him stay away, I'm sure. If if things weren't so bad at Villa, if they weren't staring right into the abyss, I'd say someone, maybe even David Moyes, would be interested in that job. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, uh, I've been surprised before. I mean, I had no idea no, uh, when Rafa Benitez's uh, names began getting linked with the, yeah, got, began being linked with that job. Moyes and, and Benitez, I said, why would either of those guys take the Newcastle job? Uh, it, it's, it's a dead end. It's a terrible owner. And Benitez is a big club manager. Well, I guess Benitez, after how it, how it went down at both Inter and Real Madrid, has had enough of big clubs. He wants to manage <laughs> a, a, a club where there are passionate supporters, but the expectations are lower. So maybe Moyes uh, would be willing to do that, but because yeah. Villa fits that description. Expectations are lower, but the, uh, the support is passionate. Not quite as passionate as Newcastle. Newcastle have rabid supporters. Uh, but still, I don't know why... Uh, why a guy like Moyes or, or, or Brendan Rodgers or someone like that would consider that job. Um, you know, I, I, I still think it's possible that uh, Brendan Rodgers could end up, uh, he doesn't have any uh, personal tie to Liverpool like Rafa Benitez does. Rafa Benitez, as Lawrence, our co-host, can tell you repeatedly, is, is kind of a, uh, a Liverpool uh, man now. now. Uh, Rodgers isn't. I, I could see Rodgers being Everton's manager next season. I'll throw that out there right now. I could see that. And I could see him doing pretty well there. One ex-Swansea manager gives way to another, huh? Yeah, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen one day. The future of Roberto Martinez has obviously been much discussed about this season. The other big game in the Premier League this weekend was the Manchester Derby that took place on Sunday. Let's go ahead and jump up the table to talk about that within the context of the battle for fourth in the Premier League. Here's Kartik, here's Napoon talking about Manchester United, Manchester City, as well as Chelsea and West Ham United. 
Nipun, Manchester United gets a derby victory, second derby victory in the last three meetings with Manchester City. Certainly have turned the tables on uh, this uh, this series. Yet it still has this underwhelming feel just because of how United have played uh, outside of uh, the matches against Manchester City and, and the match against Arsenal recently. Definitely. I was on uh, Sirius XM with Ryan Bailey this morning. And I told him I didn't see a, any way United could beat City tonight because uh, I thought the team was would be demoralized after the uh, Liverpool results, the narrow draw against West Ham. So there's still that cloud hanging over Manchester United. But this was obviously a better performance uh, catalyzed by some good uh, defensive work, actually, and catalyzed by the reintroduction of Schneiderlin for Fellaini. I thought those were key areas. And uh, w- one thing I wanted to ask you, Karthik, I thought a very interesting battle was Jesse Lingard was asked to man-mark Yaya Toure for a lot of this game. Uh, you couldn't describe two different players physically, right? I mean, Jesse Lingard's skinny, uh, quick. Yaya Toure is this whole gov of a man. Uh, and it was a very interesting battle. And for the most part, it worked well, except for that one time Yaya went down the wing and crossed to Aguero. So what did you think of the, a couple of those tactical decisions? Yeah, I thought that was very interesting from Von Hall. Right at the start, I thought Pellegrini's decision not to start Fernando in front of a weak back four and and play with both Sterling and Navas was a problem. So Sterling gets injured and Fernando comes on and City's midfield is much more solid from that point going forward. But you've already conceded the goal. So Mm -hmm. those were two major tactical decisions, one on Von Hall's part uh, to play Jesse Lingard in in that position where he kind of had to to float and mark – Mark uh, Yaya Torre and, and play a lot in the middle of the pitch, uh, partly because Juan Mata is not reliable for tracking back and for marking players. So uh, he did very well, and I, and I felt like tactically uh, Von Hall won this battle. Pellegrini got his uh, team sheet wrong initially and uh, obviously got kind of bailed out by the injury. And what about the issues with uh, Di Michaelis? I mean, he was he looked awful today and and uh, Rashford and Martial had the beating of him almost every time yeah he was terrible and I think that this was something Pellegrini grappled with with Otamendi injured is do you make the decision to play Sonia who's undersized but has the quickness and can read the game as a center back and play Zabaleta at right back that probably is what he should have done uh, with some hindsight and also just pre free match because Zabaleta has had some very, very good der- derbies against uh, Manchester United. So by playing Di Michaelis, uh, he, he was uh, unable to keep up with the pace of those two players you mentioned. And also, uh, his positioning sense has been very poor this season. He was very good last season. This season, uh, worn down, he's a year older, had a Copa this summer with Argentina, just looked off the pace. Mm-hmm. The one takeaway, though, that's positive for Manchester City from this match is that Mangala looked very good. And yeah. that's uh, something to build on potentially for that player. Definitely puts a huge wide open gap now in the top four battle. Uh, I, I pretty much was sure that United was out of the race, but at least mathematically, even though I still believe they're out of the race, mathematically, they're absolutely back in it along with West Ham, right? Correct. And West Ham uh, were unfortunate. I know we're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit, but West Ham were unfortunate not to get full three points at Stamford Bridge this weekend. Mm-hmm. And they... Uh, they look a side that is not going to go into the kind of dip in form at any point that we've seen both Manchester City and Manchester United go into mm-hmm. at various points in this season. So I would have to say they're the favorite to get to fourth, but they still do have to play both Spurs 
No, excuse me. They don't play Spurs, but they have to play uh, Arsenal uh, still. And I believe they might have a game against uh, Leicester City still. So they've got they've got two very tough matches against top three mm-hmm. teams that they still have to navigate. Absolutely. When from a United perspective, Karthik, what did you see today that you thought facilitated what was a a, a nervy win in the end? I can we can say, but one that I would say United overall deserved to get. Yeah, I think that. We saw the ability going forward on the counter, uh, breaking quickly if you have Rashford, Lingard, and Martial in the team. And, and maybe that's a, that's a preview. If, if Jose Mourinho is a manager, he's going to love to play mm-hmm. on the break. He's going to yeah. love to play in the counter and, and have Schneiderlin sit. Uh, maybe he'll re-sign Michael Carrick. Who knows? But have a, a player sit in front of the back four and stimulate those quick counterattacks. I think that that was something that was positive. I think another thing that was positive for United was that they didn't concede a goal with all of the uh, uh, pressure Manchester City put on, and De Gea didn't have to make the kind of dramatic saves he's made in recent matches, most notably both legs against Liverpool in in the Europa League, because, in fact, City's uh, uh, finishing was poor, but it was also good defensive work Mm -hmm. from the back four, I thought, uh, and, and I thought, Michael Carrick, who who dropped into those uh, deep positions, yeah, right. And I think Michael Carrick is always was very very good. Uh, he wasn't called into the England squad. Uh, question mark about whether Hodgson fancies him for the summer. I, I would take him if I were Hodgson, but there were, I guess, a, a number of central midfielders that England are interested in, and that that's uh, uh, might be the end of Michael Carrick's international career. But yeah, he looked very good, and he and he still serves a role. He still serves a purpose. Such an underrated player. Um, so let's talk about the, since we talked about West Ham, let's talk about the Chelsea West Ham game, Karthik. Um, obviously a game that ended 2-2 as we know, but the, the two talking points for me, first of all, was the, the two goals. The first two goals, Lanzini, incredible goal, uh, Fabregas with an incredible free kick. Um, in this game though, Remy started up, up top now with Diego Costa missing. What did you see from West Ham? Let's start with West Ham. What did you see from West Ham in this game? Um, Personally, by the way, let me just throw this in there. Personally, I thought they were unlucky to not end with all three points. Yeah, me too. I think they were unlucky not to end with all three points. The thing I love about West Ham is that they're able to get goals from non-striker positions. Now, obviously, Andy Carroll got a goal in this game, and he, he, he's a striker. But they've they've gotten so many goals in the last uh, six weeks from Antonio, who's essentially a right back. Uh, guys like Lanzini in midfield, Payet in midfield, uh, uh, other players. Uh, that that are that are creating opportunities for uh, for 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 uh, other guys to score goals, and I mean it's been really good. Uh, Coyote is another one. Yeah. When you think about it, they have all these good players in midfield. Mark Noble is having a great season, really underappreciated. So I really like what we see from West Ham. I'm I'm still surprised he wasn't picked for England. Yeah, I'm stunned. I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, what, what the uh, situation is here now? Here's a guy who's voluntarily turned down playing for Ireland, saying he hadn't he hadn't dreamt of being a Republic of Ireland player. He's dreamt of being an England player. He doesn't want to take the spot from someone who has dreamt about wearing green at the international level their entire life, and yet England hasn't called him in. I, I'm quite confused by it, actually. One more thing uh, that I found interesting. I was thinking about this today uh, while talking to a friend who was a West Ham fan. Uh, he, we were talking about Chelsea. And we were talking about the fact that under Goose Hiddink, we've essentially seen pretty much the same things we saw under Mourinho, except maybe for John Obi Mikel. So how do you rate this this iteration of Chelsea under under Hiddink, uh, given 
you know, we some of us, myself included, thought that we would see a significant upturn in form. We've seen a little bit of it, Karthik, but not enough to uh, remind us that uh, of the team that won the Premier League last season. Yeah, they're they're a little bit better in central midfield with Mikel in the team. Uh, they're creating more scoring chances, but they are also in a position, I think, where they're just not. Uh, they, they, they're not organized at the back. Mm-hmm. They're not cohesive as a unit. There are too many stretches of matches, 10 or 15 minute stretches where they don't play well and where there are massive letoffs in games. And I think that that's, uh, that's their undermining completely. I agree. And then you have the issues with uh, the players they've signed. I mean, we talk about Pedro at the start of the season not delivering. Pato was actually on the bench in this game. I don't know if we'll ever see him in a Chelsea shirt, but at least he was on the bench. That that means something. Uh, and we had there's also uh, Will, talk of termi- terminating his loan early. By the way, to send him back to to Brazil. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, I think probably China will come knocking at this moment to uh, take him away. But, but it, it was a it was definitely a signing that a lot of us scratched our heads when it happened, right? Yeah, and, I, and of course Corinthians has sold a number of players already to Chinese clubs. So they, uh, including second division clubs in China. Uh, so it would make sense if Pato goes there. Yeah, that mm-hmm. scratched, scratched our head. They needed, uh, some striker cover. They didn't get it in the form of Pato. Uh, they're just playing out the string now, Chelsea, obviously. So let's close out this segment with the, uh, with the hint of the conversation where we had, uh, let's both of us discuss who we think will end up in the fourth position. Because as we said, we have United city and West Ham going for it. Uh, given the run of fixtures, you think it'll be West Ham, Karthik? And why do you think that? I think it'll probably be Manchester City. Oh, okay. uh, these two. For some po- reason, I thought po- you said West Ham. I well, no, I think it would have been West Ham if it hadn't been for the for these two points oh, drops at, yeah. at Bridge at the Bridge. Um, they would. They. I think they would be ahead of uh, Manchester City now. They'd be in the driver's seat. City's fixtures are pretty straightforward, other than the whole match against Arsenal. It's just that City drop points to everybody now. It seems, but I think they'll probably edge it in the end. Uh, West Ham fifth. Manchester United six, but extremely tight between those three teams. And there's still a possibility of Arsenal getting drawn back into this. Uh, I know uh, Gunners fans believe that they're in the title race and they're uh, they're safely uh, third at worst. But I, I'm not convinced by that because there's nothing about Arsenal this season that has convinced me that they are any different than any prior Arsenal team. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Arsenal, I'm sure, <laughs> later. A lot, lot to talk about their win against Everton. Uh, but just closing this out, I think you're right. I think City will finish fourth. Uh, United still has to play West Ham away in the quarterfinal and in the league. Uh, and they play. Um, they also have to play Leicester City, which will be at home. So those are definitely key fixtures. But given the run of fixtures and given uh, the way City, United and West Ham are playing, I still edge it with City ending up fourth. Before getting back to Nippon and Kartik, let's check in on Germany and Spain and let's start in the Bundesliga, where Bayern Munich is still five points ahead of Borussia Dortmund after their one to nothing victory on Saturday over Köln. A 10th minute goal from Robert Lewandowski was the only score in that one. On Sunday, Borussia Dortmund kept up after a 3-1 victory at Augsburg. Three goals after the 45th minute, starting with Henrik Mkhitaryan just before halftime, Gonzalo Castro and Adrian Ramos in the second half. Third place, Hertha Berlin stayed within 
16 points of Borussia Dortmund, if you can call that within. After a 2-1 victory Saturday against Ingolstadt and in the week's big game in Germany, Schalke 2-1 victors over Borussia Mönchengladbach on Friday. A late Leon Goretzka goal allowed the Miners to leap over Gladbach to claim fourth place in the Bundesliga. Over to Spain, where the top two teams dropped points this weekend. Can't remember the last time that happened, mostly because Barcelona has been on such a big run. But visiting Villarreal on Sunday, they gave up two goals in the second half, the second of which was an own goal from Jeremy Matu. 2-2 was the result there. They still gained points on Atletico Madrid and now lead the league by nine points because Atleti lost at Sporting Gijón in the first game on Saturday, Sporting scoring twice late to at hand Atletico, only their fifth loss of the season. Real Madrid now is within one point of their rivals for second place after their 4-0 victory to close the weekend hosting Sevilla. Kartik and Nipun are back with us now and they're going to be looking at the top of the table talking about Tottenham Hotspur, league leading Leicester, but first, Arsenal's 2-0 victory at Goodison Park. Here are Kartik and Nipun. Some big news out of Major League Soccer. Tim Howard returning to the States after 13 years in the Premier League, three seasons with Manchester United, and the last 10 as an Evertonian on Merseyside. Uh, Nipun, this is a, a pretty big boost for the Colorado Rapids, who ironically share an owner with Arsenal, and <laughs> the news being this weekend. Ironic, uh, Tim Howard not between uh, the pipes for uh, for this match. Uh, jo- Joel continued his... Uh, his run, I think that's eight consecutive matches for him in all competitions as Everton's number one. Uh, but a 2-0 defeat for Everton at home. Uh, they haven't looked good at Goodison in, in a lot of matches this season. And this was another example of just uh, an underwhelming performance. Yeah, right. So uh, I'll, I'll start off with the, the uh, Timmy Howard thing because, I mean, he, I think he goes down as the best American in the Premier League given the, the length of his career and some of the performances he's had. Better than Friedel. I, in my opinion, yes, I, I would I would okay. say he goes down as the best American uh, export to the Premier League, um, and I have to say that even as a Man United supporter, I think a lot of Man United supporters forget how good he was his very first season uh, at Man United. He was an exceptional goalkeeper, saved penalties uh, all the time for us, uh, was very good between the sticks. His demise at United started with one mistake against Porto, that the famous mistake that saw Mourinho dance down the touchline and send United out of the cup. And then soon United had signed uh, Van der Sar and the rest of history. But I think I think the world of uh, Timmy Howard, and he's a credit to himself, uh, the way he uh, conducts himself as a professional uh, and his own battles with uh, with Tourette's syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. So um, I think I think the world of him and I, I'm glad that he's not hanging up his boots just yet. So um, coming back to the game, Karthik, uh, some of the things I thought interesting from Martinez, I know I know you and I disagree for the most part on Martinez, but I was a little disappointed in the way that, that Everton started this game. And I want to bring you in to give me your thoughts. Cleverly, starting out from the left. Now, here's a guy that runs for days. You know, he, he will run and run and run and close people down. And to deploy him from the left kind of minimized both his defensive assets as well as his offensive assets where he can be pretty good at creating opportunities for others so what are your thoughts on some of the things uh martinez did he, he played this everton team very narrow against uh arsenal 
Yeah, it was an interesting setup, even in the back lines, a sort mm-hmm. of a 3-5. I don't even want to call it a 3-5-2. It was a, a yeah, lot they went three it. at the back in the second half when they brought on yeah. John Stones, and he, that, was, right. that was an awful, <laughs> awful performance from John Stones. I want to say it was again. like a 3-3-1, something – uh, it was it was an odd formation once they brought Stones on. Stones yeah. has lost his confidence completely, and I, I mm-hmm. his value has gone uh, downhill this <laughs> season. But I, I thought they were very narrow. That that that's correct, and very uh, perhaps uh, uh, naive as to as to mm-hmm. the kind of danger that Arsenal could create with both Danny Welbeck and uh, Iwobi uh, on the pitch. Now uh, it was again another uh, disappointing performance. As far as if you look at the 90 minutes from some of yeah. Arsenal's bigger players, Sanchez and Ozil. But I think uh, one thing Wenger has gotten right this season is since uh, Welbeck has, has returned from injury, in, reintegrating him in the squad. His movement is so good. You know this uh, from watching at United for years, Napoon. His movement is good. His touch is, is good. He does a lot of little things that managers like Fergie and Wenger appreciate. Evidently, Von Hall didn't. But um, I don't think Von Hall ever got a good look at him. He just decided yeah. he was getting rid of him. But there were, there were a lot of reasons why movement of players off the ball is better when, when Welbeck is in the team. And we've seen that uh, at times for Arsenal since he's been reintegrated. And they were, they were very good going forward. Uh, our, Everton, they're just, a, they're just a shambles right now, other than the FA Cup. I mean, they've been good in the cup competitions this season. But in the Premier League, this is the second successive season where uh, they are punching well below their weight. Yeah, Welbeck is an interesting one for uh, to, to analyze because he's so in so much contrast to Giroud, right? Because with Giroud, you have this classy, uh, stylish footballer who scores these amazing goals that no one thinks he can score. Uh, but he doesn't give you the kind of work rate that that Premier League fans really want, right? And then you have Welbeck, who's going to close everything down because he's a you know a stereotypical English forward. He's he's right. strong, he's fast, uh, and he closes opponents down and that lifts the whole team and that lifts the crowd and i think that's why you're really starting to see at least on across my twitter feed i am constantly seeing uh, arsenal supporters who are falling in love with danny welbeck every week yeah and again uh, manchester united we talked about them earlier in the show they uh they might still get the fourth place but they have, and maybe it was because Von Hall saw Rashford and saw Marsh. Uh, well, they bought Marsh. You're giving well him after. too much credit, Carl. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but the sale of Welbeck, I mean, I singled it out a year, uh, two years ago now almost when it was yeah. made that it was just, to me, an absolutely shocking decision. And for me, very arrogant for Manchester United to sell him to a club like Arsenal. Okay. You, if you've decided you want to sell Welbeck, uh, which I would not have sold him, but if you if you b- believe you should sell him, you sell him to Aston Villa or Sunderland or Newcastle or someplace right. where he can't hurt you. You don't sell him to a club that's better than you. He scored a club that's finishing ahead of you in the table every year. Yeah, yeah. right. So that that's uh, th- that's the arrogance of of the, this kind of current Edward Ward and Louis Van Hall regime at Manchester United. But uh, in spite of Danny Welbeck and his uh, brilliance being integrated into the side, uh, Arsenal still are. Uh, well off the pace set by uh, the leaders, who I know we want to get to next. So uh, Nipun, Harry Kane uh, comes out quickly. He does a lot of damage uh, in, in this match against Bournemouth. Bournemouth had been in very good form. They're now basically safe in the Premier League, Eddie House side. Uh, another impressive result at White Hart Lane for Spurs. Absolutely. Uh, that first goal just killed the game, I think. I, I really did feel that given the results this week, that Burnmouth actually might get a point out of Spurs coming into this game. But that first goal in the very first minute 
just it absolutely killed any spirit that Burnmouth had. And the second goal, I mean, we 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 were talking about Arsenal, and Arsenal scored a brilliant first goal. The the Welbeck goal was exceptionally good. Uh, it was a team goal. I thought the Spurs goal was as good. The second goal with when Wimmer played uh, to Deli Ali, Deli Ali played a perfectly weighted pass to Harry Kane, who finished with his left foot. So there's a lot of signs. Uh, uh, Richard and I talked about this at the start of the season, uh, towards the middle of the season, rather, where I thought there wasn't enough goals, wasn't enough creativity. And that is completely proven to be wrong because week in, week out, we're seeing uh, people take lift the mantle. Even if Harry Kane is not scoring, other people are coming in and creating chances. Uh, and today, I think Ericsson got the third goal. Am, am I right about that? Correct. Although yeah. I wonder, as as we look at this Spurs team, if there really are enough goals. If Kane goes into a bit of a funk, these final seven matches of the season, mm-hmm. are there enough goals from uh, the likes of Chadley or Lamella or Erickson, Deli Ali? Enough goals to chase down Leicester? They are still five points behind yeah. the leaders. That having been said, Spurs show no signs of. Uh, 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 falling off. That Arsenal draw at White Hart Lane could have demoralized them emotionally. And obviously, they played two legs against Borussia Dortmund, who to me are one of the top three or four teams in Europe at this point, or maybe top four or five teams in Europe. As I think in my head, I, I might have uh, jumped, jumped the gun on that. They're, they're in the top five for sure. They may not be in the top three. But um, playing them over two legs, Pochettino made the decision to sacrifice that to try and chase the league. It seems to have paid off because both uh, last week against Villa and this week against Bournemouth, they made pretty pretty good work, pretty quick work of the opposition. G- granted, overmatched opposition, but in this Premier League season, we see everybody else drop points to those sorts of sides. Yeah, I think those decisions have paid off. And I, I remember we also talked about the decision uh, that Pellegrini had made to rotate his team, and that uh, came back uh, to actually worked out well for them the following week in the league. Right. And, you have to prioritize sometimes as a manager, and some people won't like it, but that's what managers are there for. They're there to make the decisions that sometimes are not popular, and I think Pochettino got these decisions absolutely right. Uh, now tell me this, Karthik. I, I think in, in between Iwobi and Dele Alli, I think they're two exceptionally good players uh, in, in Spurs and Arsenal. Uh, Iwobi played for the under-21s, I think, for England, and then ended up playing for Nigeria, um, 19-year-old, actually the nephew of JJ Okocha. So do you see these two players as uh, players that Arsenal and Spurs will be looking at as players going forward that they can build a team around even? Yeah, I'm not sure about Iwobi yet. Uh, we've okay. seen some er- good early I guess it is early, right? One, two right. games. Yeah. Right, but Deli Ali, certainly. Yeah, Deli Ali has, has proven his uh, his staying power through two over the course of this uh, this Premier League season. I, I had expected a lot of Spurs young players maybe to hit a wall. I, I do have to say... Uh, I did say before the season and took a lot of criticism for this, especially yeah. from Manchester United fans like yourself, that I thought Spurs were going to finish ahead of United this season and finish fourth in the league. I, I uh, did, didn't expect them to win the league, though. So once they were in this title race, I said, well, look, they're still going to hit a wall because they have so many young players. And young players, naturally, uh, that have not been through a, a 38-game Premier League season uh, have some dips in form. Well, that hasn't really happened yet. And, and Pochettino is really attuned to the fitness of his side. He probably monitors that as much, if not more, than any other top-flight manager in England. And so he's been able to manage games also. There are games where Deli Ali's come off the bench because he senses there's that dip coming, that fitness. Right. The fitness level isn't quite there. So uh, I think he's certainly a guy to build around. But we'll see uh, as time, time goes on. I mean, you look at this Spurs side – 
yeah. uh, irrespective of what's going on around them, uh, question marks at, at all these other big clubs, if they don't sell guys and they don't have to sell guys anymore because they sold Modric right when they were on mm-hmm. the brink, they sold yeah. Dale right when they were on the brink of you know, breaking through, uh, they Berbatov. could be... Yeah, Berbatov, Carrick, I mean, you go wait, you go back, uh, there, there are all these sales of guys right when they were sitting fifth in the Premier League right. and ready to break into the top four permanently. They don't sell anyone from this team or any significant contributor. Not only are they a top four team going forward, with all the flux in this league around them, they could be a top two or three team for the next several seasons. So mm-hmm. a promising signs for them, but they still, Nipun, sit five points behind Leicester City, who once again got it out a 1-0 victory away from home, this time at struggling Crystal Palace. Yeah. Uh, no surprise, Riyad Mahrez with the goal. It was a Vardy assist to Mahrez. Maybe a rever- role reversal there. A uh, great ball from, uh, initial ball from Danny Drinkwater, who uh, rightfully and, and um, deservingly has been finally given an England call-up. Uh, talk about Leicester once again getting out a victory and staying uh, five points clear. Yeah, much the same, right? We, we saw Okazaki and Vardy up top. Or Brighton, Conte, Mares, uh, playing that support role with Drinkwater, as you, as you mentioned. And I think the continuity is pretty amazing. I, I was watching the the uh, NBC uh, special they did on Leicester City. I don't know if you got a chance oh, to watch it. Oh, that was great. Yeah. 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 Roger Bennett hosted that download show. Exactly. And I, I was struck by the fact that we are week in, week out. Every week, I keep we keep referring to the same names. And for a long time, that hasn't happened, in my opinion. I think... There have, been, there have been times where teams have other people have picked up the pace and other players have come in and taken the lead, but it really has been Mares, Drinkwater, Conte, and Vardy pretty much week in week out since the first I, week. I think the one significant change though has been uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, who was a favorite of oh, the previous yeah. manager Nigel Pearson, getting back into this uh, from injury, getting back into kind of Ranieri's plans to where when they're up one nil in games, they can bring him on. He's a defensive minded player with loads of pace and he's been able to help them see out some of these games. So I think his recovery and winning Ranieri's confidence has been important. Yeah. And another thing that I thought was interesting was the way that, um, the way that Palace set up. Um, so, so let me preface this by saying this. I was again on NBC. Huge credit to their coverage. Let's not get into Fox; they're the worst. Uh, but when, when <laughs> NBC brought up this stat that at the on the first of January, Crystal Palace were fifth in the league. Since then, uh, right now they're like I think seventeenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. They're sixteenth now. Yeah, they've only collected two points since the first of January. Uh, and it was a pretty w- cool way they did it. They showed fifth place and they showed 15th place right now. And we've talked about the usual narrative with Alan Pardew and how teams tend to struggle. We saw that with Newcastle after they do well. But is it really that simple, Karthik? Is it down to Alan Pardew or is there some, Is there a bigger issue at Crystal Palace? Because I, I saw them, by the way, I saw them play in this game with Bolasi and Adebayor up top, which is a which was a cool little tweak that I thought Pardew did against Liverpool uh, with Zaha and Dudley playing out wide and it works for a little while but they just cannot do it long enough and always there's they always miss that final pass so i feel like there's a lot going on more than just the alan pardew effect yeah kabai doesn't seem to be uh marshalling the midfield right. since he's come back from injury the way that we would expect yednak uh he's i think not getting regular games has has, has dropped off his form as far as uh, the Pardew effect, we talked we talked about this on the show before, where Newcastle at Christmas time a couple of seasons ago were sitting 
I, I want to say four points behind Liverpool, who were leading the league uh, yeah. going into Boxing Day. And, and of course, that was the year of the classic uh, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea three-way title race, which City ended up winning. Newcastle well, ended up finishing. Steve, something happened to Steven Gerrard that year? Yeah, he had the year of the slip. But right. I believe Newcastle <laughs> finished 15th or 16th that year. They collected 16 points after Boxing Day that season. Uh, uh, 16 points in 20 matches. The Palace's form is, in fact, even worse than that. I didn't think it could be when when I threw out that statistic when Palace began to go in the tank three months ago or two two and a half months ago. I was thinking, okay, so they'll get 16 more points and they'll finish like ninth or tenth or, or eleventh or somewhere. I didn't expect this. They've got two points since uh, January 1st. So. Right. That having been said, I think they'll still get a, a result somewhere. They need to get the 36 or 37 points to be safe. I assume they're going to get a win at some point. If not, they're going to need three or four draws, which they don't look like getting, honestly. I mean, it is it is troubling. I really don't have an idea as to what it is because I see them playing and I see the way they played earlier on and I see, saw the chances they created, some of the goals they scored – and they don't even look similar to that team. It's almost like they're two entirely different teams. And uh, as yeah. you said, I think m- maybe it does come down to someone like Kabai, who was such a big part of that initial upturn. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But let's let's just change the focus back to Leicester City. They're top of the mm-hmm. table. Yeah. They don't show any signs of letting up. They continue to perform at an exceptionally high level. Mm-hmm. And the reality of this situation now is that there you can say, OK, they're only winning games one nil. You can say that uh, we're seeing cracks. Vardy's not getting goals anymore. Mares isn't as consistently getting goals or setting up his teammates. They are still winning games. We have seven matches to go. There's still five points clear. And defensively, we had lots of question marks. The reason why so many people thought Leicester were going to fall off from the top of the league uh, when they were in the top four at the beginning of December to uh, being a mid-table team or maybe, uh, uh, maybe, maybe scraping a Europa League place was because of their defense. What we've seen from Huth and Morgan has been nothing short of incredible. And I would point out, as Arlo White did on the NBC broadcast we got here in the States, Wes yeah. Morgan played uh, the last 27 Premier League ga- matches last season. He then went to the Copa America, played every minute of... Uh, of uh, three matches for uh, for Jamaica down there in South America, down in Chile. Then he came to the United States, played six matches in the Gold Cup, 90 minutes. Uh, they, Jamaica went all the way to the finals. Remember, they upset the United States in the semifinals of that competition. Then 12 days later, he makes he cuts, he's back in Leicester, playing in their Premier League opener against Sunderland, and has played every minute this season and has gotten better and better and better as the season has worn on. Now he's captaining and marshalling, generaling the top-of-the-table side that looks destined to win this title. What a player. Yeah, incredible story. And and defensively, they've been great, obviously, especially since the turn of the year. We, we know they had some defensive issues early on, but they've contributed goals as well. I mean, we saw Hoot score a couple of goals. Uh, I think it was Chelsea, right? He scored, scored that incredible looping he header. Scored the, and he scored that goal against, oh, no, it was against Spurs. And that, that could actually de- decide the title. Title, right. That right. Goal. So, so it hasn't just been defensive work. They've, they've contributed goals from the back. Uh, and it's been terrific to see, yeah. Yes, so Leicester, five points clear going into this international break. Uh, Rainieri has gotten everything right uh, to this point. Uh, his tactical changes and games have all made sense. So Spurs playing very well, but they're still going to have to chase down uh, Leicester. The magic number is 17. If Leicester can get 17 points from their last 21 games, they will be your Premier League title winners. And let me ask you this, Karthik. Um, again, a conversation I was having with a friend 
how do you see? We talked about the future of Spurs in the next three or four seasons, right? Uh, they actually have the financial uh, backing now, quote unquote, to actually maintain and keep those players like Kane and Dele Alli, etc. Leicester, not so much historically. They do have newer owners, but point is, can you see them sticking to uh, keeping this team together? Uh, you know, I, I, in January we had uh, we had Ranieri saying that there wasn't a price that anyone could quote for Vardy and Mares. In the summer, do you think they'll be able to uh, maintain that strong of a stance? I'm not sure about whether they can keep Mares and Conte. Uh, Conte, maybe. Uh, they, they, have, they have the money. Uh, the Leicester's tie owners have the money to maybe keep those guys wage-wise. But the, um, the temptation of the transfer fee that might be offered for either of those two guys will be very high. Uh, otherwise, I don't know that there'll be many uh, uh, people that could be rated uh, off this team. I think Mark Al- Albrighton could certainly help a top team in England, but there will be no offers from, from outside the country. And then he has no reason to leave uh, Leicester. He's a, he's a uh, Birmingham born and bred, uh, you know, came through Villa, signed with Villa, first played for Villa's youth team when he was eight. He's, he's at home. Uh, Leicester, by the way, for our listeners, not from the UK, we're not familiar with the geography of uh, the, of uh, England. Uh, Leicester is not far from Birmingham. So about 30 miles. So he's, he's still at home. He has no reason to leave. I don't think Vardy has a reason to leave. I don't think that Danny Drinkwater has a reason to leave. He's seen how it goes for him at big clubs. I don't think Danny Simpson has a reason for to leave. He saw how it went for him at Newcastle and at QPR, two big spending clubs that overspend on players and never have any kind of uh, uh, continuity or spirit in their side. So I don't think he has a reason to leave. Morgan and Huth will, will, will stay, obviously. They're both in their 30s. Uh, Christian Fuchs, uh, who was... A shaky player, in my opinion, at Schalke. I watched him a lot. He was uh, up and down. I don't think he has a reason to leave. So I believe the core of this team, and when you add Demarai Gray, who is one of the more promising young English attacking players, attacking wingers, uh, to the side, I think the core will be there. The question is Mares and Conte. Uh, Conte probably more importantly. Conte is a one-of-a-kind player right now in, dare I say, world football. Definitely in English football, maybe in world football. But playing devil's advocate... Would would you see a possibility of these players thinking that what what a lot of us have thought that this is maybe a flash in the pan? Maybe I can move somewhere else. This is my chance. I'm hot right now. I mean, look at yeah. what's happened with John Stones, right? Look at what happened with John Stones. So absolutely, it's possible is- outside of the obvious, bar, uh, outside of Conte and and Maris, who we both agree are probably the the ones that are more likely to leave. Perhaps some of the aforementioned ones might be seduced by the idea to a different club. Yeah, it's possible that Drinkwater will see this as an opportunity to get back to a Manchester United level club. That a guy like uh, Albrighton might see this as an opportunity to go to uh, a bigger club, to to a club like a Spurs or a, or an Arsenal mm-hmm, if, it, right. if they want that kind of player or Manchester City. So that's uh, that's interesting. There's going to be some reshuffling, obviously, uh, among uh, the, the the clubs because this will be the first summer where Jurgen Klopp is managing uh, in England. Pep Guardiola for summer managing in England. There will be a new manager at Manchester United in all likelihood. It might be Jose Mourinho. It might be Antonio Conte at Chelsea. So there are going to be opportunities and temptations. We're already seeing Pep linked with guys like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and John Stones and English players in the English league. Guys, uh, the Ox link makes perfect sense. That's a guy whose playing style fits uh, a Guardiola 
uh, esque team. If he can ever stay fit, of course, <laughs> but um, that's a whole other issue. But I, I, so Lester might be a challenge to keep some of these guys. But it seems like they have such a good recruitment policy in place, and they're so uh, savvy in how they mm-hmm. play this transfer market that if they do lose a Mares or a Conte, I think they'll have maybe not like for like replacements, but they'll have. They, they already have a list of players they want. It would be if they start losing guys like Albrighton right. and Simpson uh, and and uh, some of the other guys we mentioned, uh, 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 Okazaki, that maybe um, that's when they begin to run into trouble. But they're, they're going to need more depth next season because they're going to be in the Champions League. Uh, but I, I think that the core of the team will remain pretty much the same with a couple of these exceptions we're talking about, and they'll be very good again next season. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think... I guess only time will tell, but to me right now, it feels that this Leicester's team has an emergent property. And by that, I mean, essentially they, the, the individual parts sometimes don't seem so impressive, but when you put them together, there's something that transcends those individual parts. Uh, and maybe it's, it's the incredible man management of Ranieri who these players absolutely love that. There's no doubt about that. The, each one of these players loves that man and would do anything for him. And perhaps it comes down to the fact that if you take a couple of these players out, you can get someone else in who will maintain that emergent property and maintain uh, possibly these these results for Leicester City. Uh, right. You know, as we transition out of this this uh, segment, the the thing I would say is that I, I had written an article earlier this week for World Soccer Talk about Rainieri's history, finishing second with Roma, finishing second with Monaco, second mm-hmm. with uh, with Valencia, second with Chelsea, and. Uh, uh, Second with Juventus. All of these clubs that he's finished second place with have been big clubs with big ambition. And they haven't been quite good enough to win the title because there have been better teams in the league and they've been caught. Uh, obviously, Roma, they were ahead of Inter at the end of the season. Mourinho got under his skin and, and, and they caught him and passed him and, and won the treble that year, Inter. But th- there, there is something different about him being at a perceived smaller club with lesser fancied players they want to win it for him. They want to win it for themselves. They want to win it for the for, for the for the city. Uh, and I think uh, I really think that there's just some special connection. And uh, Rainieri's taken a long way to get to the to the right club for him. You know, he, he's been a big club manager that's fallen just short at all those places right. I mentioned. Five different big clubs. He's now at a smaller club, and it looks like he's going to do it. And I think he's going to stay, and most of the players are going to stay. The dream lives, Karthik. One final break before we talk about an exciting match at St. Mary's that saw Southampton pull off a huge comeback against Liverpool. We're going to talk about Watford versus Stoke, and we're going to get Nippoon and Kartik's top fours as well as their players of the week. But first, you've heard it alluded to earlier in the show, an active week in the championship saw another change near the top of the table. Burnley continues to lead the league. They're four points up at this moment, thanks to a draw this weekend on Saturday against Wolverhampton Wanderers. That gave Brighton, now the hottest team in the league a chance to close ground they're in second place after their victory at MK Dons a 2-1 result there. Middlesbrough with Aitor Karanka back in tow got a huge result on Friday a 1-0 victory over Hull that extended Hull's winless run to 5. They only have 3 points in those last 5 games. They've dropped to 4th place 9 points behind league leading Burnley and only 2 points ahead of Derby that got a 1-0 victory over Forest. and then Sheffield Wednesday is holding down the last playoff spot. They had a 3 Three to nothing victory over Charlton. Let's get back to Nipun and Kartik right now. Finish up the show talking about those last two Premier League games, as well as doing the weekly ritual of our Premier League rewards. Here, Nipun and Kartik. 
Watford is in the FA Cup semifinal. They're going to get a game at Wembley, but their league form hasn't been so good. And Nipun, they yeah. shipped two goals to Stoke. Probably should have been a third, a clear offside goal disallowed. And uh, more trouble in the league for Kiki Sanchez-Flores. Maybe just focused on the cup now. Yeah, it was a very poor game from Watford. Uh, I know that they've kind of switched off because it's a job well, done, a job done for them really for the season. But uh, you know, the first goal gives a perfect example of where they are. Early on in the season, anytime there was a run from deep, you always had someone like Capu or uh, Warado or Suarez running past or tracking that run. For the first goal, uh, Walter scored. All three players completely switched off and allowed that deep run from Walters. Uh, that that was a easy finish, really, in the end. Uh, so there's been some poor play, I think, from Watford that uh, Kiki Sanchez-Flores will be looking at in terms of uh, marking on, on simple pay up simple plays. Um, from the Stoke perspective, Karthik, I thought Wolshide had a great game. Ozelu had an incredible first goal. He, he was picked ahead of uh, both Boyan and Mamadiouf. He had a good game. So, in all in all, a good performance from Stoke. Uh, Stoke Alona is still not a thing, but definitely a good performance from Stoke and two good goals and they collect all three points. Yeah, I guess Sparky will be uh, will be happy with the result as he assesses the field and tries to position himself for one of these right. open jobs, which we know he's going to do. But I think Watford, they need to get another result or two in the league just for it to feel right. Mm-hmm. They are, however, focused on, uh, on on the FA Cup, and they went to the Emirates last week and got a result, which is massive, yeah. massive uh, moment for that club. So uh, they, they're, uh, they're focused on other things, it appears. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about Southampton and Liverpool. Now, mm-hmm. uh, these two teams have played a lot of uh, good games the last few seasons, a lot of uh, impressive uh, performances between these two teams, and we have also seen an outflow of players from Southampton to Liverpool. Liverpool fielding several former Southampton players on a regular basis. However, the Saints come from behind, 2-0 down at halftime, 3-2 victory uh, for Ronald Koeman's side, and they're still uh, in with a shot for a European place. Yeah, the, after the second goal for that that Liverpool scored, Liverpool looked like they were completely out of the game for a long period of time. I know that Southampton got all three goals within, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. But the point is, you could there was a significant drop in work rate, in uh, in effort from Liverpool after that second goal. It almost felt like they had already decided that the game was over and were already looking ahead to bigger games uh, after the international break. Uh, and it came back to bite them because there was the penalty, which, which, uh, which Mane should have put away, a good save by Mignolet, and then three goals out of out of uh, some exceptional play. A couple of tactical tweaks that, that Koeman made too. Uh, in the first half, we constantly saw uh, the midfield of Liverpool getting past um, the midfield of Southampton. You start seeing Wanyama playing deeper. And uh, I think Southampton really came back into it and could have won this 4-5, maybe three, a couple more goals than they actually ended up winning by. Yeah, Liverpool's defense still a concern. I thought that Skirtle was terrible. Honestly, uh, it, it seems like maybe Colatore is the better bet right now, uh, believe it or not. Uh, very, very very poor. You play Lucas at center back because uh, it, the, the, the amount of mistakes that Skirtle make yeah. and, and leave his uh, teammates in, in poor positions uh, is, is a big problem. And then missed opportunities to go up 3-0. They had several missed opportunities. So that brings us to our top fours, Nipun. I will go first. Uh, on form, I'm going to go one... Spurs, uh, sorry, one Leicester, two Spurs, three West Ham, four, 
gosh, this is a tough one. I guess for Stoke, uh, that's that's the best I can do. End of the season, one Leicester, two Spurs, three Arsenal, four. Still sticking with Manchester City for one more week. We will see how West Ham responds. If West Ham had gotten that result against Chelsea, I'd go with them. Uh, Your turn, Nafoon. Yeah, I have the exact same end of the season uh, top four that you do. That's Leicester Spurs, um, Arsenal City. And then for a form, I'm going to go Leicester Spurs, Stoke and Chelsea instead of West Ham uh, since they actually haven't lost a game in in the Premier League in in a while now. So uh, that's the top fours. And we'll go players of the week to wrap up the show. I'll go first. I'm going to go with Danny Drinkwater. First England call-up for the player uh, in, in his career, a guy who was very highly touted when he was at Manchester United, didn't really uh, make it at that level, had to go down to the championship. Now a core player for Leicester. I thought he had a fantastic game. Uh, he's benefited so much from playing with Conte, who's maybe the best player in the Premier League this season. Uh, but I'll give it to Drinkwater this week. I thought he was great. And he, he had a wonderful ball to Vardy, which he which Vardy then laid off perfectly for Mares. Mares finished. That was the one goal for your league leaders. Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, there, there are some good choices here. Rashford is one. I will be one. I'm actually going to go with Fabregas because of his brilliant free kick and, and the yeah. penalty uh, to two goals to keep Chelsea in it. So that's my player of the Does, week. Doesn't it seem like Fabregas plays better with Mikel than he did with Matic? It does. It does. And I think it, it comes down to the fact that Matic is a lot more mobile, which, which sounds contradictory when you think about it. But the fact that Matic actually is almost a box-to-box player... I think eliminates some of the positions Fabregas gets into, whereas Mikel almost always just sits back in a traditional holding role, and I think it allows Fabregas a lot more freedom to play. Yeah, absolutely. So Fabregas has played much better under Gus Heating, as have a lot of the Chelsea players. The results, though, not quite where they still need to be for a club of that size, that ambition. So for Nipun Chopra and Richard Farley, I'm Carter Krishnire. Nipun, take us out. Enjoy your T20 World Cup and your football. <laughs> The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737, Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast, and Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email, richard at worldsoccertalk.com.